As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Today on the show, Michael sits down with Ty Ahmad Taylor, the vice president of product marketing at Facebook, and really just an amazing product person. Ty's been all over. He was the CEO of THX. Um, he's had a couple of different exits in his background, selling one of his companies to Samsung. Michael, I was super excited to learn that you were going to sit down with Ty and talk product. Yeah, this was uh, this was quite the interview. Um, he has quite the history in product, and I love the way that he looks at product from a holistic view, where a product manager should have business acumen and marketing acumen and engineering acumen 
to some degree. And, and he sees all of those working together to make this product roll, which he was the first person that I heard articulate it in that way. So um, this is a, a really great conversation. He is, he is now, you know, a VP at Facebook. And, uh, and I couldn't think of a better product person to learn from than Ty. Yeah, well, I can't wait to see what you uncovered with Ty. Welcome to Rocketship.fm podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. I'm a San Francisco Bay Area native. I uh, Directly out of college, I worked at a newspaper and I did infographics, but I was covering technology and I wanted to do it. So in 96, I moved to the Valley and joined a startup there. And that, that got big and ridiculous and uh, took a time off and went to cooking school Joined another startup. It was acquired by, by Comcast. I was there, Viacom. Then I did my own startup. That was acquired by Samsung. Then I ran THX, and then I came to, to Facebook. So I've been doing product and software development for about 21 years, uh, and I've been doing hardware development since around 2004, so roughly the last 13 years or so. Wow, very nice. So how would you describe the problem that you're solving today at Facebook? Sure. Uh, so... Uh, I am on the business side as opposed to the consumer side. And on the business side, I think our core remit basically is, is uh, if I were to translate, it would be making advertising more interesting, but basically connecting businesses with the consumers that matter to them most. But I think the flip side is actually as important, which is connecting consumers to, to brands that will probably deliver the most value. And that's really, we're looking at it through both sides. Yeah. So today at your, your talk, um, you talked a bit about some of the lessons that you've learned and, and, and some of the, the pivots that you've had to make as a product manager in those decisions. Um, I'm ho- wondering if you can take us through an example of, um, of a product where you know, you've had to make several pivots until you actually get to where it's working. Sure, I think probably the most facile one is, uh, is my own startup, which was called FanFeeder. I founded it in 2009, and uh, we were in existence for about three and a half years. And the core thing that we were trying to do there was essentially connect fan, sports fans with the news and information around their favorite sports teams. If there's an overarching thesis around the work that I've done, it's connecting people with the things that matter to them most. And in this case, I was focused narrowly sort of on, on the sports world. And so I had just come from Viacom, and in Viacom you had these well-established brands, and we build these destination websites. So I was like, I'm building my website because it's 2009, mobile's sort of new. So we built a, a temple to the brand. And what you find very quickly is that building a temple to the brand is very much like building a very high-end store that's in a small town that nobody can get to, Interesting, right? right? And because there's just no traffic, right? Yeah. And so. Um, you, you know, part of uh, the landscape now is, is really is what are your touch points with consumers and the places where they already spend time. But that was not a lesson that I had learned in 2009. So we built the website over six months, launched to high acclaim, and then had, you know, traffic that was, that was in the thousands. Uh, so the iPad was coming out. So I said, well, let's leverage this new platform, which is also foolish because a new platform takes time for adoption in and of itself. But we built a set of mobile applications for both the iPhone and for the, for the tablet. And we got 20 times the time spent of the people who were using the website, but one-tenth of the population. So now we're in the hundreds. Okay. So it was like, well, you know, clearly that's not working, right? <laughs> And so uh, the, the third pivot um, after going all in on mobile was really uh, we deployed through social channels. So in my case, because I'm from the Bay Area, I was a fan of the Golden State Warriors. And you can get news there from the San Francisco Chronicle, from the San Jose Mercury News, ESPN, Bleach Report, SB Nation, and others. So what we were doing, we started delivering that material directly through social channels, both Facebook and Twitter. And that... Uh, 
uh, is really when the company began to take off. And what we found is our customer acquisition cost was either negligible or zero or, or asymptotically close to zero. And um, the company really, you know, grew quite a bit. We, got, we uh, were ramping up to a million users. We were not at a million users. And it was at that point that it actually turned into a marketing tool. And what we found is that brands that were deployed on, on both of the platforms that I mentioned were spending like $13.82 to acquire a customer. And then they'd have an average lifetime value in 2011 of roughly nine months. And, and the customers were like, well, I've, I've, you know, I've become a fan of your brand, and now what, am I, what value are you delivering? And so what we found is that uh, companies like Samsung, which eventually acquired us, were sponsoring the Chelsea Football Club in the UK, and they had a big Chelsea symbol on the top. So $13.82 for nine months of lifetime value, and, what, and, and this is for, to acquire a like, basically, which was the currency of the time. And we were doing eight cents on Facebook, and we had a 24-month, I'm sorry, 27-month lifetime value. So three times the lifetime value, 1% of the cost. And what, the conversation that we had with them is like, listen, you can continue doing what you're doing, but instead, what, instead of uh, delivering material about Samsung Mobile all the time, why don't you deliver value to Chelsea Football Club fans 90% of the time, and then 10% of the time you can engage in conversational marketing. And they're like, hey, that's a great idea, why don't we just buy you? And so, you know, at that point, uh, you know, startup fatigue set in, and I thought that it was a good place for us to land, and we ended up going to the television set division, and, th and so things worked out that way. But it really was like the fourth iteration of listening to the market, understanding distribution dynamics, and then customer acquisition costs. And that's when I sort of got a more finely tuned sense of, of how all those uh, uh, interplay, in, in, inter, intersections actually, I should say, um, can yield fruit. How were you interacting differently with the market than um, a larger company at that time? Because I mean, you all had access to the same... Same data. Yeah, the same yeah. data, the same social, but what were you guys doing differently? Well, I didn't, I, you know, there's a, there's a, foundationally, I was not beholden to any uh, preconceived wisdom. like. Okay. So, you know, we were lean, I didn't have pensions, and so my ability to turn was really necessary because otherwise the company wasn't going to achieve escape velocity or any, any measure of success. And so I was driven by a desire both to drive success for my team, uh, for my investors and shareholders, but also for myself. And so when you're faced with that and it's clear that something isn't working, I think the most, one of the most important qualities of leadership is what I call self-awareness, but tell yourself no lies. So launching that website, I could have spent every single money that was invested in the company and run out of money within the first year if I continued down that path, yeah. right? And it's not to say that the, that, um, that the hustle is real, but like, and I think hustle has negative connotations, but being uh, amenable and, underst and understanding market demands is critical for any business. And you know, my, f my favorite thing is saying is like yesterday's, the, the money that you made yesterday is no guarantee of future success. So I, I, I continue to remain nervous about those things, and I, I find that that serves me well. Yeah. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, were you able to replicate the same strategy at, at a larger company? Did you have to adjust because now you're adjusting to a, an established 
brand. Right? Oh, we, we, you have to change the scope in your delivery mechanism because you know part of uh, any idea or notion or approach is that it has to be communicated. And part of being successful at either a large company or a small company is understanding that communication is inherently flawed. And so if I told you if I was successful, that means different things to different people, and it has to be qualified because I, I wasn't successful on all fronts. And so I, I spent a lot of time at uh, subsequent employers thinking about ways to both communicate what I was getting at, but also remaining flexible and understanding their, the way that they currently did work yep. and trying to uh, amend those rather than superimpose a new system from scratch. Let's talk a bit about that. When you, when you go into, I mean, you come from a, a startup into a, a behemoth, right? A very large company. Um, how, do you, how do you integrate in and how do you take some of the, keep the, some of the lessons that worked at a startup but implement them within the larger well, you, you know, I think the the first time that it's happened to me because I've gone through uh, into three three acquisitions. Um, I was naive and you know, like, oh, it'll just be a one to one map, and you know, that's that's not the case. And so, Samsung was my second of three, I guess. Um, uh, Comcast acquired an earlier company that I had uh, worked at called Meta TV, and then uh, I sold THX when I was running that company. Uh, the things that I think that you have to be aware of is you have to think about some cultural challenges if the company has a different work culture. You have to think about national challenges if the company is based in a different country. Um, and you also have to think about how you articulate the core problem that you're trying to solve in a way that is understood by everybody who's there. So it's one thing to have the notion. It's another thing to make sure that everybody's aligned and, and mostly on the same page. Yeah. And that all takes like... Um, legwork and relationships and establishment of trust and you know those things take time i think when i was younger i was more idealistic and i was like the best idea will win right. and uh and that's not to say nobody I, the best idea should win but laying the groundwork for those ideas to be received is often half the battle talk to me a bit about that what what what, what do you do purposefully to ensure that, you, that your message is well received and not met with um like resistance or distrust so uh, I talked a little bit about self-awareness. The other part is being forthright about your goals and intentions. And so what I tell everybody is, is my goal is to make you successful. And that's for pretty much everybody that I work with. And, and so when you first say that, people are like, uh, yeah. Like, and, <laughs> cause it's not, it sounds crazy. Like, what do you mean you're, like, you don't know me? Like, what does right. that mean? And so having words and action match. Uh, over time is really what closes the trust gap so that they're like, oh, he actually does mean that. Because it's my view that if for any company to be successful, the people who work at the company have to be successful because uh, in, in the industries that I've been in, we're not at a car plant, right? And so at a car plant, you have output and you have robots to build cars and human factory workers. But most of the businesses that I have, the capital are human beings. So I have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that everybody's operating and working efficiently, but I also want to get the most out of them. If they're successful and we're aligned against the company mission, which is the problem that we're trying to solve, then I feel like that's successful for everybody. You have um, an anonymous example of someone who maybe it was a little bit harder to get them to, to see or, or work with um, in that way, to get them aligned with both the company and yourself. But, but, but strictly anonymous. Anonymous, okay, yeah. Okay, so th there's a person, Sue Smith. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, uh, no. Uh, uh, yeah, I think... Um, or even more general example um, of a time when maybe you've had to, to work a little bit harder to, to get someone to, to see that viewpoint or to even learn what success meant to them. 
Yeah, I think I think I'll use my my own example. Um, and so uh, again, and it's, this is not software development related, but it's like human factors related. And so when I came out of school. I stumbled into a job Forrest Gump-like at the New York Times where I was working at a very large platform. And so I was full of, uh, you know, to use the phrase, uh, piss and vinegar, you know, about like what was right and what I thought was right. But I was only 22 and 23. Like I, I, I literally did not know any better. And uh, there's a case where uh, I was covering the Oklahoma City bombing that took place in 93. So at that point I was 25. And I'd worked very long and hard on a story and didn't receive a byline on that story. And so I was sort of pissed off and and had a conversation with my boss, and I was overly loud about it, right? And so his his point that I've only, you know, come to understand as I've grown older is that I shouldn't have been seeking credit. I should have been seeking what's best for the paper. And it was hard for me to subvert my own ego in that case. And I didn't even, I wasn't even self-aware enough to know what my ego was know how to subvert it. So he listened to, to what I had to say. He listened to me patiently, suggested that you know he did what he thought was best, and he would take it under advisement in the future. And there was an older woman who overheard me engaged in what can only be safely described you know, some 20 years later as a rant. And she, she took me aside and said, you know, you have half a brain, but your style of delivery is really abrasive. And uh, it was over time that I, I was able to sort of modulate that so that the message that I was trying to deliver was most well-received. And I try and keep that close as I think about how other people are because you have to be in the right frame of mind to receive a message. So in having empathy with the listener, I think, just as we try to have empathy with users and product and software development, I think is really super important. How do you deliver the message today to your team? Is, is it something that you're saying over and over again? Do you find different ways to, to voice it? So uh, without casting aspersions on anybody else, the team that I have uh, currently is, is super high performing and uh, I'm still onboarding at the company. Uh, and and so there's so much that I don't know that I try not to speak with um, uh, absolute authority about anything. Mm-hmm. And even two years from now, I hope that I'm not speaking with absolute authority because there's always space to be incorrect and to be wrong. Yeah. What I'm most interested in is getting towards truth and solving product market fit challenges that we all face and improving upon what already exists. So uh, to date, I've been in listening mode. Um, They are figuring out when and where to seek counsel, but by and large, I'm learning from them, and I hope to continue that pattern in the future. Yeah. How do you, um, you mentioned credit, and and so how do you disperse credit? And and earlier today, you said it wasn't even important that you receive it um, now. Um, How do you disperse it with your team, and, and how do you receive it personally? So I'm terrible receiving it, and, okay. and, I, and I, uh, I, would, I would like to be better, but um, you know, sadly, I, I grew up uh, both learning Latin and, and reading Greek and, and Roman mythology, and like, it's the person who spoke too proudly about his, his, his beginnings and origins that, you know, that uh, he or she sort of uh, got burned. And uh, there's a Christian saying, which is uh, to hide your light under a bushel. So that tends to be my own personal operating mode. Um, in terms of what I do for the folks that are on my team, I like to push it down to the lowest levels. And what I found through my career is that um, you get more secure in the work that you're doing. And I, I appreciate it. you should always protect the most vulnerable, in, in my view, in, in any space in life. And, it, and the lowest working members typically get the hardest work because they have less mooring to be able to attach it, right? And they have less... Uh, fewer frameworks and heuristics of their own to be able to, to get to, to the North Star. So they need help, but they also need support, but they also need to receive the credit when it's there. 
And so my goal is to push it to the lowest levels. And if, and if one is secure, then if it jumps the level and goes below you or you don't get credit for it, you're actually good with that because you understand that what you're doing uh, has value in and of itself and that the person who's pushing it to the lowest level understands and appreciates what you're doing. So it's the same thing with like when you're doing presentations. I try and have either the most junior member who's the most polished speaker or a more senior member who's the most polished speak, but it doesn't need to be me because I don't, I don't have the ownership of the idea. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Um, let's talk quickly about the, the heuristics of product management, sure. kind of the, the properties that, that you've put together that make up a good or a, a product manager. Sure. Uh, so, you know, uh, I have uh, frameworks. Uh, everybody can expand or collapse the frameworks, so I'm not saying that, that my word is gospel. But I view that heuristics is sort of one of th- six things that you can do, including, you know, brand, brand uh, looking at brand, uh, doing direct product comparisons, uh, using measurement and analytics, um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, other sort of like product management tools to improve the product. Heuristics, as we all know, is, a, is sort of a, a shortcut, and it's based on past experience. And for me, this, the single burning question is, does this product solve the problem that I've articulated as being my North Star for what, I, for what I'm looking to do? And so uh, it's very interesting to me to see um, car companies, in, in particular, sort of rebrand themselves as transportation companies, right? Because what they figured out is that just selling cars is not enough. And so when you become a transportation company, you have to think about traffic patterns. You have to think about autonomous driving. You have to think about um, how do you deploy services into automobiles that, that accrue value over time. Because the one-time sale as a business is really hard to get your arms around. And that's why you see large online retailers getting to subscription products. Because it's the recurring revenue that really becomes a little bit of the holy grail. And so those heuristics is like, is the thing that I've built whether it's hard or soft, is it solving the problem that, that I've articulated at the beginning? And is the problem that I'm solving, does it really have a large enough market for me to cost justify my business being in existence? And that's typically how I think about heuristics. Yeah, very nice. Um, can, you, can you take us through, um, you had another really interesting slide about the properties of a, of a product manager. And um, you had you know, design, marketing, and I believe business development yeah. as, as your strengths. But then there was also engineering and... Uh, there, there's also engineering, and uh, I, I forget you're, forget you're making me forget that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's actually marketing and engineering are my weak points. Okay. U, UXD product and uh, and uh, customer experience, I think, was the fifth. And pardon me for not remembering. Uh, those were the ones that where I, where I was where I was particularly strong. I'm, yeah. I'm not the strongest marketer, nor am I the strongest uh, engineer, uh, but I can do all five of those better than most. And so that's my view of my own skill set. And is that something like when you look back at how you've acquired those, has it been purposeful or has it been, been something that's, that's naturally come about by being in the workplace? So what I try to do is uh, be purposeful about the areas where I identify that there was a gap. Sometimes I wasn't aware that there was a gap. And then there's one distinct instance where it was just happenstance. So when I was coming into Comcast, they were like, what do you do? I said, I do product development. They're like, oh, that's me. You mean you do business development? I said, no, I do product development. They're like, that's great. You're going to do business development. I was like, I guess I'm doing business development, right? And so um, I'm very thankful to them for the, for the malapropism with regards to like my skill set because it forced me to learn how to do BD. It forced me to learn strategy. And then they were like, 
and by the way, you need a, cost, a crash course in accounting. So I had to do like, you know, the, the poor man's, uh, you know, uh, uh, MBA certifications just to learn how to read a spreadsheet properly. And that, that adding that to my, my uh, arrow to my quill of things that I can deploy was really super helpful in terms of growing my career. Um, and it all happened because they were like, yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. You're going to do BD. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's it's uh, it's sometimes good to step out of those of yeah. those zones. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for this. Um, I, I really appreciate it. We'll be um, we'll be releasing this in a in a couple months. Um, we'll probably release the episode, the interview as a whole, and then we're going to break it into um, individual episodes as well. Well, it's been my pleasure, and thank you so much for taking the time to have me. And I'd, 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 I'm, you, you have a new subscriber having nothing to do with my own ego. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what other uh, bits of advocation that others have provided. Thanks thank so, much. so much. Yeah. If you want to find out more about Rocketship.fm, go to Rocketship.fm. It's pretty simple, right? We, you can sign up for our newsletter. We have partnered with Product Collective, Mike Belsito's company, to bring you even more content each week. So if you sign up for the newsletter, you're going to get content from Rocketship FM. You're also going to get detailed product content from Product Collective, which is incredibly valuable. And as entrepreneurs, it's one of the most important topics for us to stay up on. So go to rocketship.fm and sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoy this content, leave us a quick review. Um, or tell a friend or share the link on Twitter. Anything helps to get the word out about the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back here in just a couple days. days.